Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Multispeed Technology is the show that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat because you are the content. The phone lines are open to be a part of the program. It's a free call. 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624. Give me a call. We'll have a conversation about your tech questions or business and tech questions. Linux advocate, above all else, small business owner, now host of the only radio show centered around you, the listener. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. My name is Noah Chalaya. Good evening and welcome into the Ask Noah Show. As I said, I am your host, Noah Chalaya, and I am happy to be here with you. Last week was a bad, bad week for us in the IT world. And um, news is still coming out about Spectre and Meltdown vulnerabilities that affect all modern Intel processors and AMDs to some lesser extent. Now, if you're just joining us live and you're not part of the usual crowd that downloads and listens to the show, I'd invite you to head over to AskNoahShow.com, click on the download section, and grab episode number 43. Given the nature of these attacks, we, we couldn't just wait for our usual airtime. And we know there are people out there that depend on this show, that count on this show to provide them with the condensed version of the story. So check out episode 40, uh, 43, and we spend the first 15 minutes giving you a basic breakdown of what you need to know, what you need to understand. We go into just enough detail that you'll really understand this vulnerability, but not so much that it, you know, bores your ears off. And uh, and then we and then the rest of the episode, after the first 15 minutes, then we just kind of kicked back and chatted and, uh, and kind of talked with it. Michael Tunnell joined me as a special guest. Now, I'll have a link for, to that episode in this episode's show notes. Uh, because that is, um, I, I think we did a pretty good job of breaking it down there. And uh, obviously the situation is fluid and things are coming in rapidly and we are going to continue to bring information as it becomes available, including bringing you industry experts uh, on to the show. But as this is the Ask Noah show and you guys call to hear my opinion on things and people are calling in to ask my opinion on things, we'll go to the phones. Carrie from uh, California is calling. Hey, Carrie, welcome to the Ask Noah show. Hi, how you doing? Hey, pretty good. How can we help? Um, I had some questions regarding Spectre and Meltdown with regard to the microcode for the processor being patched at boot time by the kernel. Okay, I'll my answer it if I can. Like for Windows, I, well, my understanding for Windows computers is that they have to have a BIOS or firmware update, whereas I, I've heard that for, for Linux, uh, the kernel can patch that during the, uh, during the boot time. But I'm just wondering, is that true? And if so... Are all processors affected by this being patched at boot time um, with updated kernels, or is this going to be rolled out over time as, as more and more processors are actually supported with updates? That's a great question. Uh, that's a great question, Carrie. Let me let me do this. Uh, we've got the mumble room with us. Is there anyone in the mumble room that can speak authoritatively to this? Authoritatively? Well, no. okay. But in consideration? Yeah, sure. All our hardware already exists, right? So all of the microcode is already, or it's updatable, and it can be replaced. So all the previous hardware that we've already bought has to only get new features or ways of functioning by new microcode updates. Okay. So in terms of microcode updates, it's the only way to fix current hardware that isn't already produced or manufactured in the future, which has this mitigation in the chip or in the silicon. Okay. 
Okay, that makes sense. Carrie, does that make sense to you? Yeah, it makes sense. I'm just, I guess I'm curious about the current status then. Does that mean that only certain processors have received some of the updates that are being, you know, updated in the kernel? Or, or does that mean that, you know, most processors that are affected by this are being updated? Because my understanding is that you can patch some of this in software, but not all of it is fixed unless you actually update the microcode for the processor. Well, I tell you what, I, I tell you what, I will, let me do this. Let me put you back on hold here for a second. And let me introduce our guest that was joining us this hour, because uh, this is something we're bringing him on to speak authoritatively on. Obviously, you know, I am a tech guy. I am a system administrator. So I deal with this stuff at a, you know, at a, at a, at a very basic level. At a, I apply the patches level, um, but I don't hack on kernel code, and uh, and I'm certainly not uh, talking to the people that do. But our guest that's coming on this hour does uh, talk to the people that do, works directly with them. Red Hat has played a integral role into this. They were one of the first companies to get a patch out into their uh, into their Linux systems, and we have Brandon Johnson joining us from Red Hat. Hey, Brandon, welcome to the program. Hi, Noah. How are you doing? Excellent. Now, now you're coming back on the program. This isn't the first time you've been here. You've been on, uh, what, once or twice before? Yeah, I think it's twice now. Now, this will be the third. So. Okay. okay, cool. Uh, so, uh, I'm going to bring our, uh, I'm going to bring Carrie back on the line. Carrie, are you still there? Yes, I'm still here. So, I don't know, Brandon, when exactly you joined us, but Carrie, could you repeat your question to Brandon? We'll see if he has any insight for you. Okay. So, my question was regarding updating the microcode for the processors. My understanding is that this issue cannot be completely uh, protected against without updating the microcode. Uh, my understanding, again, I may be wrong, is that the kernel can update the microcode during boot time, uh, or you can also update it via like doing BIOS updates. But I'm wondering, does this mean that only certain processors are actually being protected right now because these patches are still kind of coming out and there's a wide range of processors affected? Or am I completely wrong in my thinking? And, and so please just correct me about that. No, you're correct. So uh, uh, mo most of the, uh, the hardware vendors are going to need to uh, push out microcode uh, updates for their, for their hardware. So uh, HP uh, is going to need to, Dell, et cetera. Um, uh, I know uh, like IBM is pushing, pushing out some stuff for their processors. Because uh, like everyone's thinking of x86, uh, um, but power was also affected. So was Z series. Um, so uh, there's a um, so all the vendors are going to have to push this out. But the microcode uh, that that was shipped with like RHEL or CentOS or Ubuntu that should that should uh, fix some of it. But you need to also rely on your vendor uh, to uh, push uh, uh, out microcode updates. Does that answer your question, Kerry? Okay, so, yeah, I think so. I just, if I could just do one quick follow-up. Yeah. Does that mean, like, if I had, um, like, a 2015 server that's kind of a little bit older, so probably not getting patches right away, if I loaded, if I updated RHEL, uh, would the microcode updates in RHEL be supporting or up updating the microcode in my processor, or would it only be, like, if I have the latest and greatest processor at this point? I'm speaking from, like, for an Intel platform. Yeah, I, I haven't looked uh, too deep into the microcode that we shipped. I, I should have before this, uh, before this, but uh, the uh, but it should uh, uh, it it's uh, in, Intel wrote that. So basically, just uh, it should be uh, in the uh, uh, if you're running an Intel CPU, it should uh, it should update it. Okay, that that answers my question. 
Cool. Thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Again, the phone line's 1-855-450-NOAA. That's 1-855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Hey, Brandon, so uh, so this is, it's been, I bet you're having an interesting week at Red Hat. I bet there's, uh, I bet it's been a fun time. Uh, it is. I mean, uh, we customers uh, asking, uh, you know, barraging us with questions. It's actually uh, 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 just a little, uh, you know, we're actually doing a Q and A on Thursday. I posted yes. it in the chat. You know, we're tweeting about. We're actually tweeting about it. I've tweeted about it. Um, so we're going to be doing a Q and A on it uh, on Thursday. Um, and uh, so, if you have a question, please please go and join it. That our uh, performance engineering team is uh, 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 do is uh, putting that on. Um, so that, that it's mostly mostly it's question. You know, people don't really have questions anymore about the vulnerability. They have questions. How am I going to get my performance back? Right, right, yeah. Well, so when you and I were chatting last, uh, was it last night or the night before? And uh, and I said, you know, you know, what do you think about this? Is this is this a, is this a huge deal or is this a little deal? Is it getting blown out of proportion? Is it are people rightly to be concerned about this? And you said, yeah, there's a performance hit for sure. And you said, in certain instances, you're seeing ten times reduction in performance. Yeah, it just depends. I mean, like these are lab. Uh, this is all lab stuff, but you know, I, I go into what I can. But the uh, uh, some of our lab, some of our lab stuff, you know, ten, it's been a, it's a huge hit. It's not, it's not small. I mean, uh, it, it, but that that was a you know worst case scenario. Probably, probably not most people. Um, but like, uh, uh, really, the thing that's not going to get hit the most is uh, people using Linux day to day on their laptop. I mean, most of that stuff is in user space. So, and that, and that uh, yeah. user space performance really hasn't been affected at all. Right. Um, I think what's been uh, hit hit the most is high performance computing. One of the things that I was chatting with you last night about was uh, I I um, was uh, going you know going to di- you know going to disk is very kernel intensive, and, and you need your CPU to help process help help ch- help churn that out and. Uh, um, uh, uh, the functions that are now, you know, being disabled or uh, in, in, on the CPU are just uh, being, you know, not uh, very useful for writing to disk, especially or re- even reading from disk, especially if it's like a, a file server that's pulling a, a files, uh, uh, um, you know, the same file over and over and over again. Uh, yeah. So like high performance computing and things like that. Uh, that, that that's also gonna that's heavily affected. How about how about virtual infrastructure? Because one of the things that I've seen in the last two to three years is that people are virtualizing like crazy, and be it on VMware or on Liberty or over, which you know you've come on the program and talked about previously. But we have set up a number of virtual infrastructures, and now I'm sitting back and I'm going, man, all of these machines are probably largely going to take a performance hit because of this. Did I lose you? And you're right, oh, they, they are. are. No, no, I'm back. Yeah, no, they are going to take a performance hit. But uh, there, there are handfuls, there's a handful of ways to mitigate it. Um, uh, one of them is like a, with KVM uh, in particular. So re- actually really quick, if uh, I, wa- I want to mention this first before I go into this. Please go, if you're running KVM, patch your host, patch your guests, do it now. Um, reason why I'm saying that is I actually did a test on this in my home lab uh, on an unpatched host. uh, I can actually read even on a patched um, uh, guest. uh, Really? 
Yeah, yeah, you can you can do all kinds of fun stuff with on so, pet, so, unpatched hosts. So, so it's, it's, it's the host is unpatched. E- so even so, like so, to put this into real world perspective, let's say I'm on a DigitalOcean droplet, and uh, I patch my DigitalOcean droplet because I'm a good system administrator. But let's say they didn't patch their host machine, uh, and of course they would because that that's kind of why people flock to places like DigitalOcean because they do such a good job maintaining their infrastructure. But let's just say for the sake of argument that they hadn't, then my system is still vulnerable, even though I'm running the latest kernel, I have that patch. Yeah. So if their host gets compromised, uh, the the, uh, the guests are compromised. I, I would consider the guests compromised. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, I want to continue this. Dis- are you, a, you're not a time crunch at all, are you? No, I'm, I'm a free the whole hour. So, oh, cool. well, well, yeah, one of the things I also want to mention really fast, sure. if you don't mind, is uh, there are ways to mitigate the, some of the performance issues and uh, uh, for on virtualization. So one is just making sure that all your uh, uh, all the CPU types are the same. Make sure they're using uh, uh, and if uh, specifically on the guest, just make sure that the guest matches the guest CPU type matches the host. And the easiest way to handle that is just Say you is in the drop down when you build a a, v, a VM is just tell it to use the the get uh, the the host uh, CPU instruction set. Yeah, that's all you have to do. And uh, and there, and then there's a few other options that need to be configured. I'm going to be blogging about this. So I'm going to be writing something up about this uh, here pretty soon. Um, and uh, so. Uh, I'll, I'll get into more. We can get into more details. Yeah, I do. I want to dig into that and more. I also want to talk about that uh, that uh, that um, event that you guys are holding and how people can participate in that. But I see callers are coming in. I, I assume you're okay if we take some calls. Well, I'll just assume that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Great. So let's start it with Brian in Ontario. Hey, Brian. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hi. How's it going? Hey. Excellent. How can we help? Um, I have a couple questions, uh, not anything to do with uh, Meltdown or anything, but sure. um, I wanted to know, you've done some kiosk stuff in the past, I've heard, and I have some kids that I'd like to, um, you know, have some uh, control over what goes on on the computer when I'm not around. So I wanted to see if there was a, a way you could point me into having user accounts where if you log into that account, then there's only like one program or one website or something like that you could go to, like an educational program or something like that. Sure. And still have other accounts where you can log in and do whatever you want. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Brandon, what's your thoughts? Um, I haven't really thought about that, <laughs> but uh, just uh, like, you know, chaos style stuff, I've always, uh, um, I, I like using a, like, being able to just blow away um, any configuration that's ever happened on it uh, every single time, like just have it check in with like an Ansible server or a Puppet server. But sure. That, that, that's probably way overblown. <laughs> no, that, yeah, no, that's a, that's a valid answer. That would work, uh, you know, and, and you could have it set up so that, uh, you know, you can, uh, the nice thing about that is if the kids do screw it up, then that Ansible server comes in, pulls down a new config. I'll tell you, Brian, here's what, here's what I, I would do. I, uh, I, what we do at our, at our hotels is we have a, we have, we have two different types of kiosks. The first is like the generic, what you think of when you think of like a web guest kiosk. It's just a computer that has a web browser, uh, both web browsers, Firefox and Chrome, and has like Adobe Flash and, uh, you know, a PDF reader and all the things that people need to, to, to get the stuff done they want to get done on the internet, right? And we have a printer installed and stuff like that. Now for that kind of configuration, 
we use a basically a script that just it it basically it takes the tarball when we first set the machine up of the user's home directory and stores it and we call that the sterile copy and we just store that in the root directory and then we have a script and every time the computer boots up the computer blows away the current user's home directory and then untarballs that sterile copy and institutes a new copy in as the user's home directory and then we remove elevated permissions from that kiosk user so the user doesn't have access to anything outside really outside of their home directory because they're not a privileged user and and we can we can control almost everything because all the bookmarks all the settings all of that stuff is stored inside of the home directory at some form or another and the things that aren't things like the wi-fi connection the ip address stuff like that it will lock you out if you're not a privileged user so that that's how we've been able to mitigate that now if i understand what you're talking about you're saying you want to actually restrict which certain types of applications now the second type of kiosk that we set up and we've set this up for um uh, businesses that they it, it, this isn't guest facing; it's employee facing. But you still want to lock the machine down quite a bit. Uh, and so, and what we do in those situations is we actually use XFCE. We install the, the the applications that are there, and we customize the panels. And we put a big panel along the bottom, kind of like a dock, so to speak. And we put only the applications those employees are supposed to be using. Now, if you have a really smart kid, are they going to be able to open the terminal and run the program? Yeah, they are. But ninety nine percent of the time. People, I mean, yeah, that, that's enough. It, 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 it's it's kind of like we say that we put locks on the doors to keep the honest people honest. That's kind of how I look at the kiosk thing. Is that is that an acceptable solution or is that not secure enough for you? It's certainly something to get me started. Like, basically, I'm using Time KPR, Time Keeper to, you know, give them so many hours per day on the computer. But then, sure. you know, I want to be able to have certain things that they can run whenever they want because they're not, you know, Netflix and, and that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'll, I'll give another uh, unsolicited plug. Uh, and thank you, Brian, for the call. I'll give you a, I'll give another unsolicited plug for a router and I'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, I can't think of the, the, the who it's made by, but uh, Koala, I think it's called. But basically, it's it's the router that we have in our house for the kids. They're on their own separate network. And basically what this router does is it allows you to uh put in a schedule say like each you know mac address is allowed a certain amount of oh, it wouldn't be under orders it'd be under let's see under here we go uh it, it'll put in here and it'll say um you know this is uh, this is how many hours that each mac address can get and so their their tablet can get one yeah oh it's called the koala safe k o a l a s a f e and it's basically a router specifically for kids got a little web ui has a little app and you can put in there and and it, and and it kind of takes the uh, it kind of takes uh, the parenting administration and dumbs it down a little bit for you so you can not dumbs it down but just makes it a little bit more powerful and gives you a little web ui so you can have a as chris would say a dashboard for days again Brian, thanks for the call. No, we uh, go ahead. Yeah. No, can I add to the to, to this a little bit? Please. I apologize. Yeah. yeah so I was just just thinking about it. Um, so like, if you're managing like kiosks or even lots of kiosks or even just a handful, um, just came in my head uh, a project called Fleet Commander. Um, is, yes. Would definitely help with this because you can enforce policies and say you cannot install this application, you cannot do this, you cannot do that. I mean, it's the ultimate in like restricting <laughs> uh, uh, a Linux machine because uh, it goes through G settings. There's all kinds of really good stuff that you can just walk down the machine. I, I, have, um, I have to ask, did you think of Fleet Commander because I was talking about really cool dashboards? Because Fleet Commander has like one of the coolest dashboards out there. 
No, a little bit before. A little bit okay. before. All right. All right. Joe, it does have a good dashboard. Yeah, it does. It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. If you haven't checked out Fleet Commander, you should. It'll change your life. Joe is calling from Pennsylvania. Hey, Joe, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for being here. Your um, question, question. Yeah, your question for Brandon and me. Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, as you probably know, uh, churches across the country are starting to take um, uh, security and safety a little more seriously, and our church is looking for um, at least uh, uh, a security system uh, for video cameras where we can monitor um, one building and that uh, monitor two buildings, but from one place. So, sure. what's like a a good balance between easy to use um, security surveillance systems and a decent price range. Yeah, absolutely. Joe, before I answer your question, I just, I got to ask, did you by chance use a contact form and reach out to us through AltaSpeed a couple of weeks ago, a couple months ago? Yeah, that's me. Okay. So the email address you provided was wrong and it has been driving me nuts. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Uh, a lot of you, a lot of you, if you know me personally, uh, you know that I have a I have a strong walk with God, and I, I'm not the kind of person that wears my religion on my sleeve. Um, that's just not who I am. But uh, but but it is a central part of of my being, and so when the opportunity presents itself, I, I don't shy away from talking uh, about it. And um, so, Joe, uh, 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 the the answer to your question is uh, Unify. Unify is one of the most cost effective, easy to set up solutions that exist for. Uh, IP video, really video cameras in general, because what you can do, Joe, is you can set the the NVR, the controller, up at any place, and the uh, cameras will connect via IP. So there's a number of different ways you could solve the problem you're trying to solve, right? You could put you could put cameras at different buildings and use the VPN to connect them to the NVR, or you could have an NVR at each building. We've we have a hotel actually that has three different locations, but it's all owned by the same owner, and he wants to be able to look at them all at once. And so we have NVRs at each location and cameras at each location. Then he can just enter in the appropriate IP address or host name and it pulls it up. Now I, I do want to tell does that answer your question? I guess before I go any further. Uh, yeah. The, the only, the only one concern is that um, I'm pretty much the only true techie at my church and mm-hmm. even I'm not super, super technical. So um, I'm trying to like uh, have systems where I can train someone and move on to the next project. Yep. Um, do you think that's that system will be easy enough for a volunteer to pick up within like a month or two? Yeah, man. I, it's just a web page. I mean, you go, you you literally you type in oh, the web page of the host name. You click on the camera you want. It's super easy. Now, Joe, I do want to make an offer to you, uh, I, I, and we can talk about this more off air. But uh, officially speaking, Altaspeed Technologies policy is that we offer a a deep discount to houses of worship. Unofficially, again, my personal belief is that it, we we are called as you know as Christians. Christians to uh, to give back to the kingdom of God. So I, I will donate all of my time to set all of this up for you, as well as I'd like to donate some of the equipment. So I'm, I'm going to put you back on hold, and I'll have Sarah pick up and uh, get your particulars down, and you and I will get in contact, and, and I'd love to help you out with this project because I, I think it's very much something worth doing. And thanks for calling the Ask Noah Show. We appreciate having you. Uh, Chaz is calling from New York. Hey, Chaz, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, great to talk to you at the new time. Uh, my, my microphone wasn't on. Was, I, I, uh, my my guest here and I are we're, we're chatting uh, off the we're chatting uh, on on the computer and I I reached over to respond to you and I didn't realize my microphone wasn't on. I'm such a noob. Hey Chaz, well, yeah, it's it's great to be on Tuesday. I, my mind hasn't fully adjusted. In fact, our video producer was telling me the other day he's like, I, I'm just not used to you not having a show on Monday. And I'm like, yeah, it's because I'm so consistent. Like if I say I'm going to do something and it gets done, how can we help, Chaz? Uh, 
Well, uh, I want to take you back in time to the last days of the Linux Action Show uh, to set up my question. Okay. If you remember, um, you and Chris both had simultaneous failures of Arch uh, around the same time, yep. around the end of the uh, Linux Action Show. And it got you guys talking about the concept of a bulletproof Linux. And could you have a bulletproof Linux? And yes. what would a bulletproof Linux look like? Right. Fast forward to now, we are four months removed from a new Ubuntu LTS, a radical change in the Ubuntu LTS. And they're very much trying to push the idea of snaps. My question to you is, are snaps over the new GNOME-inspired Ubuntu, uh, how close does that get to the bulletproof uh, Linux idea that you guys were exploring in the last days of last? I'm going I'm to rope uh, Brandon on, uh, in on this. I'd love to get your take as well, Brandon. Yeah, so like from my perspective, well, I, I, I'm a little biased. I mean, I work for Red Hats, but uh, um, my bulletproof Linux, I, I have a workstation that runs uh, RHEL. And uh, um, I, for me, that I, that workstation doesn't move. It's RHEL seven right now. It's RHEL seven four. Um, Gnome's at three dot twenty. Yeah, I think it's three dot twenty or three dot twenty two. I don't remember uh, the exact version. But uh, for me, that that's perfect. And what's great about seven dot four or CentOS seven dot four, whether it's talking RHEL or CentOS, is it supports Flatpak. So if I need something a little bit newer that's not in the repos, I, I can get it. Uh, uh, so that, that's, uh, that's been really nice for me. Uh, cause I, uh, I don't like my workstation to move. And I've been using CentOS uh, or RHEL, and RHEL for my workstation for quite some time. And from a Fedora perspective, the, uh, I, I use Fedora on my laptops just because battery life is a little better in um, uh, Fedora has been great since Fedora 23. I mean, I, I haven't I reinstalled Fedora uh, since, since at least Fedora 23. It might have been 22, but um, I, I've been uh, like for me, Fedora is the Fedora and and, uh, and Enterprise Linux is uh, the bulletproof uh, uh, workstation. That, that that that's my opinion. Yeah, no, that makes that makes perfect sense. And and as a Fedora user for a long, long time, I I, I can echo a lot of what you said. Here's I'll tell you. Uh, here's my perspective on it, Chess. I'll, I'll tell you. And if if Chris, I don't know, is, is he still in here? Yeah, start dropping. So he's at least near IRC. If he wants to call in, I I I'd loop him into this conversation too. I don't like, uh, you know. But uh, so here here's kind of my take on it. For the longest time, I was running Ubuntu or Fedora. And, uh, and, and Chris was running Ubuntu for a long time, and then he switched over to using Arch. And his, his, uh, his rationale for that for the longest time was Ubuntu is good, but there's a better Linux experience out there. And um, when we were at System76, it was in November of 2015. We had probably an hour-long uh, debate, if you will. It was, it, we were on air, but uh, we weren't actually doing the show. It was like, I don't know what we were doing. We were doing something. But we're having this debate on the benefits and uh, the benefits and, and and detractors of Ubuntu versus Arch, and one of the things that I said it, it was that Ubuntu was very 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 polished. It was a desktop distribution that was extremely well polished. Uh, the, there were so many of the edges were just uh, really filed off, and it felt like a very cohesive experience. Now it wasn't it wasn't moving. It wasn't 
on the cutting edge. It was like there was really not any seriously significant changes between 1204 until, uh, you know, uh, 17, uh, wherever, 1710, whenever Gnome was. I mean, the, it's basically the same field. If I sat 10 people in front of it, unless they knew what they were looking for, a lot of them are just going to say, eh, it's about the same thing. But it's a really polished desktop experience. And uh, what snaps do, and Brandon, feel free to chime in here if, if I'm wrong on this. What I think snaps do is they remove the importance of the underpinnings of the desktop and make it more about the presentation of the desktop. As long as the desktop is responsive, as long as GNOME doesn't crash, as long as it looks pretty, all of the underpinnings, all of the actual important mechanical stuff underneath, that's all being containerized now. It, yeah, I, I, I'd echo that. Like, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I use Flatpak uh, instead of Snaps, but uh, either way, I mean, the concept's the same. I mean, it's containerized. I, I, uh, and that, that's why I use uh, um, Rails Seven for my workstations because I, it, the applications are containerized. The run, uh, all its runtime is all bundled together, and uh, and my workstation can stay, you know, stay static. What's great, what I like about what what I have going is if I if I decided not to upgrade my machine for until 2023, whenever Rel 7 goes end of life, uh, it, it, I'm going to have a supported uh, desktop <laughs> that's, yeah, that gets security patches. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Chaz, what do you, how does how does that ring for you? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think I'm pretty I'm understanding what you're saying, and I had one follow up if yeah. uh, I could real quick, please. Um, so. I thought of it when you mentioned 1710. Normally, when the new LTS comes out, I you know download, install it right away. Um, uh, thing is, though, I have a Lenovo X260, and I got a couple people who I install Linux for that I kind of responsible for maintaining their systems. Sure. Should I wait, given what happened with 1710, a couple days before installing the LTS, or do you think the LTS is going to be you know? Do you think they're going to give special attention to the LTS to make sure that what happened with Lenovo's and Acer's doesn't happen again? Yeah, I, I, my gut tells me that Canonical is going to be extraordinarily well-tuned into the release of, of 1804 for a number of reasons. One is that there were so many little things that popped up on 16, the, the LTS, the last LTS, the 1604, that weren't in the LTS like a day before because Chris and I reviewed it. And then we actually got the actual LTS, and it was it was like a totally different animal in a lot of ways. Uh, and for for that reason, as well as what has happened with seventeen ten, because I can tell you, I've I've spoken to people at Canonical. They are they are riveted to their customers' feedback, the users' feedback for seventeen ten, because they really want to see how this gnome thing is going. How um, they've made a couple other changes, they want to see how those things are going to play out before they make their decision on what they're going to roll out. Um, Actually, I guess I can talk about it. The, the different, Wayland, uh, I guess we did talk. We had an interview about that, so I can talk about that. Uh, but um, how 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 is Wayland going to do in seventeen ten? And if it works well, that will drive their decision for eighteen oh four. So no, I think you're probably safe to install it. I might wait a week because what's the rush? I mean, there's really. I mean, the nice thing about the LTS is you have so much overlap. You know, right? Of course. Yeah, so that that's what I would do. I I would uh, I I'd install it, but I would probably wait a week. And I'll tell you, I won't be waiting a week. The second uh, 1804 ships, I want it on my machine because I want to get to you know because that's where, you know that's where the that's where the world is. Uh, Eric is calling from Kansas City. Hey, Eric, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. 
Hey, good evening, Noah. Hey, how's it going? Going really well. How about you? Good. Eric, can I just, uh, can I trouble you to just spe speak directly into your phone? It's, I'm having a little bit of a hard time hearing you. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, much better. Okay, that's, great. Uh, yeah. yeah, your question for Brandon and me. Uh, so, as you know, I've got uh, an IT consulting business that I'm working on growing. And one of the things I'm looking at offering is just drop-in replacements for existing uh, existing systems. Talked in the past about the uh, users buying the wrong version of Windows uh, and not being able to join Active Directory. So I'm looking mm -hmm. at being able to drop-in replacements uh, with laptops. But I'm having trouble checking out office systems based on need. What, what do you look for uh, CPU-wise? Performance-wise, do you, do you go the i do you go the i7 or can you get by with an i5? What what uh, what uh, material do you look at to make that decision? Sure, Brandon. What are your thoughts? Brandon, uh, oh there he is. Just uh, um, like drop drop. Uh, can, can you expand on that a little bit? Just like uh, drop in replacements, like specific for what? Like like it. Like any business type of product, like a like a or or use case like the active. And you mentioned Active Directory. Right. A lot of my customers, uh, a lot of my potential clients are still on Windows, and my my hope is to start moving them over to Linux. Uh, but that's not always possible. At least maybe not a hundred percent. So I basically see two different groups of users that I, I would come across. Your, your basic office user who's using uh, the web browser for 80% of their work, and then basic office uh, solutions like email and, and word processing. Uh, but then a, there, I would see another group of, say, power users. This may be someone who's doing some graphic design for, for marketing for their company, um, maybe video editing. I'm sure okay, there's I, other I, categories. But there's the two that stand out the most. Okay, I think I see where you're going. So, um, like, I've actually done this. I was actually talking to Noah about this on, on chat last week. But I've been doing a lot of retrospect on, like, uh, retrospective of my career lately. And um, one of the things I did very early in my career is I, I, I helped migrate um, uh, a company that was quite large, uh, well over 5,000 employees from Windows to Linux uh, on the desktop. And one of the things that I would recommend uh, anyone that that that, help, that does anything like this is uh, to um, one, if you're going to want to start moving them to Linux or do something like that on their Windows box, install Firefox or Chrome, uh, and install LibreOffice. Um, just that, you know, give them a taster of what what they're going to go. And if they actually use LibreOffice, so if they actually use Chrome over Edge. Um, you know that yeah, that that that's a good stepping stone. Um, and then uh, always target task workers first. I mean, if they're if if all they do if all they use is a web browser, Linux, that, that's a fantastic use case. Yeah. Um, if and if you're gonna and if you want to do a drop-in replacement for anything else, like a like a replace Active Directory, Samba 4 is fantastic for that. Um, uh, 
Uh, and if you eventually want to replace it all, there's project uh, and you want to use uh, for identity. And if you still need need identity systems, uh, Free IPA is great for that as well for handling uh, uh, yeah. identi- uh, doing identity. Um, if you're looking at replacing a um, Active Directory and other things like email and stuff, like uh, you need to keep like one of the things that uh, I learned from this is you need to keep an. Um, uh, uh, the experience is the same across all platforms. So whether if you're talking, you're moving people from Windows to Ma- Windows or Mac to Linux, the email client needs to look is the same, right? At, on Linux, like ev- like evolution is a uh, you know sometimes it breaks, but it's a godsend because it looks just like Outlook. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the, well, the other thing you can do is you can use uh, you know cross platform applications like Thunderbird. I'll, I'll tell you, um, I'll, I'll tell you, Eric. What I'll, I'll tell you, our go to, AltaSpeed's go to. If if a customer calls us, they say we want to replace our front desk computer, our office computer, our general manager's computer. Uh, our go to specs are uh, latest gen i5, 16 gigs of RAM, and an SSD 120 or bigger. Uh, and what we found is that those specifications will handle like 90 percent of use cases. And you have like when you start getting into video editing or even if you're doing like large uh, graphic design or photo editing and stuff, you might want to revisit that and look at discrete graphics. But as far as like a general go-to model, like, you know, like the Optiplex, uh, I think it's the 3050 is what we're up to now. The Optiplex 3050 with an i5, 16 gigs of RAM and a 120 SSD. That is a recipe for success on in almost every case. I, I don't know, Brandon, if you agree with that or. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Core five is more than enough. Chat, chat room also points out that Office uh, 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 Office uh, three hundred and sixty five has the Outlook web app. Oh, no, 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 no! They don't. They don't even charge for the Outlook web app. That one's free. Uh, but then they have. Um, but then they have the Office three hundred and sixty five, which is a web app too. So you could again talking about keeping that 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 experience consistent across uh, all uh, across all platforms. And Eric uh, um, Brandon would actually be a great guy to ask about your uh, your virtualization question. Yeah, uh, Noah and I were talking a little bit earlier in the day about uh, about the new vulnerabilities that, that have come out, and it, uh, it it dawned on me while you're talking, Brandon. Uh, my uh, my day job relies heavily on ESX, um, whereas my home network and my IT guys, my, my IT consulting network, uh, is more dependent on, upon uh, Libvirt. So my my question would be. Uh, with, with these patches, have have you seen who gets a, a, a worse performance? It would it be the the ES, ESXIs out there or the uh, liver D systems. I haven't seen benchmarks from VMware. Um, uh, I've seen I've seen ours. Um, uh, there's a uh, like some of the recommendations I said earlier. Like that, that helps mitigate. Another one is make sure that uh, the feature called PCID um, is enabled. On your uh, processors, um, so that's uh, another important thing. Uh, 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 probably uh, one of the things I, uh, we've noticed internally um, um, is that uh, pre-Skylake is more vulnerable. I think that this is public knowledge everywhere. But pre-Skylake, it seems to be hit the worst, like any processor pre-Skylake. Uh, Skylake uh, seem, seems to you know, not hit a the performance hit is not as bad. Yeah. So uh, anyway, thank you very much, Eric, for the call. Uh, and uh, 
uh, again, the phone number one eight five five four five zero noah That's one eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow.com. If you're just joining us, Brandon Johnson from Red Hat is joining us now. Brandon, the reason I, I had him ask you that virtualization question is because virtualization is kind of your wheelhouse, right? Yeah, I'm a, I, uh, uh, I've been working with a KVM for forever, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you have, and you've come on this program and talked about it. So uh, I'll let the phone line stack up there for a little bit. I see a couple of you still on hold. We'll get back to you, but I, I just want to dive in. And I, the reason we brought Brandon on is we want to pick his brain about um, these latest Intel vulnerabilities. Now, again, if you download episode 43, we'll dig into it a little deeper, but I'll just take a, a couple moments and, and give you guys the cliff notes. Basically, um, if you know, back in the 1960s, a technology called speculative execution was invented, which essentially you can think of it like going into a diner uh, day after day and placing the same order. And then at some point, the owner of that restaurant notices a pattern and starts to make your dinner for you before you actually arrive. And one day you come in and you order something else. Now, the diner has to throw out that original meal and make you a new meal. And the CPU does very much the same thing with the problems that you present to it. Well, it's waiting for data to be returned from main memory, which can take I don't know, upwards of 100 to 200 cycles of the CPU, it can look ahead and then try to execute some of the upcoming actions while it's waiting for that data to be returned. Now, if we go back to this, now, if the speculative execution gets it wrong, just like in our diner example, it dumps the information. But if it's correct, then the CPUs, in fact, become more efficient. So the issue lies in the fact that back in the 1960s, when this idea was of speculative execution was invented, computers were basically doing one thing at a time. They weren't powerful enough to multitask. Today, you run multiple programs, you run multiple things on your machine, and when it comes to virtual machines, which again, Brandon is an expert on, you literally have potentially hundreds of machines sharing the same resources. And so there's no real security in that trash can, in our analogy, that these machines dump data to. So one virtual server, as Brandon was explaining at the beginning of the episode, when it throws an incorrect data away, an unsecured machine could then steal it. Um, and that's where I have to stop and say that all of the, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brandon, but all of this is a theoretical attack. There are no proven cases of this. This isn't actually being actively exploited. This is just proven possible. Yes, uh, it, it's just been proven possible. But it's you know critical enough that like, you know, everyone is running around <laughs> with their heads cut off, patching systems, fix, getting uh, and fixing the exploits as best they can. Now, and this, uh, what what really sucks is that it's a uh, uh, it's band aid, um, ho- and it, yeah, that's what really stinks about this because like, well, you can't. Up- <laughs> well, here's here's <clears throat> here's my thing. So basically, here's the assumption we have to work on. We have to work on the assumption that you have to be able to run code on the machine. And so if we are accepting that anyone can arbitrarily run code on your machine, then we have way bigger fishes to fry than this latest bug, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's really uh, – the, um, the my big worry about it is like uh, – um, uh, it, it, right, at least at the moment, is, is the performance hit. I mean, with virtualization, like you have uh, uh, speculative execution is fantastic for virtualization because you have multiple systems running on the same machine, and if and, mo- and usually they're all running the same process. You know, in some cases, they are running the same processes. System D, for example, because uh, uh, every one of your Linux guests is probably running mm-hmm. System D as a process. So um, uh, there, it, it so it, it virtualization is going to take a hit. I don't know how bad 
yet. You know, I haven't really seen uh, benchmarks on, on that yet. Sure. Um, but we'll post. Yeah, we'll continue. We'll continue to watch it. Let me. I want to get your take on this. So the situation has not gotten any really any better since Friday. In fact, it's gotten worse. Um, we gave a we did a special episode on Friday to talk about this and reported that um, AMD was saying that they were largely unaffected by this latest bug. Now today we're hearing a different story from AMD. Um, according to reports from users, the patch that Microsoft has released, and that is, and I have it here, uh, KB4056892, is, is, uh, it, it's leaving some AMD user systems completely unbootable. So after installation, the system will no longer boot. Instead, it just displays like the Windows logo, and there's no little animation below. And by the way, this is a great point to stop and say... This is a good example of, and I could spend the rest of the episode talking about why boot screen should display useful information instead of some cheap digital imitation of a CEO's professional motion desk ornament, you know, flying around in a stupid circle. But what I thought was interesting, and I want to get your take on this, Brandon, is Microsoft's response to this. Microsoft says it's AMD's fault. AMD, it's your fault. After investigation, Microsoft has determined that AMD chipsets do not conform to the documentation provided, previously provided to Microsoft to develop Windows operating system mitigations to protect against the chipset vulnerability known as Spectre and Meltdown. So I'm interested, like, where does this leave us, Brandon? Like, we have, first, we were, we thought it was all Intel's fault. Now it turns out that there are, uh, that yes, maybe AMD wasn't directly affected by the bug, but now they're being affected by the patch. And the result of this, by the way, is Microsoft has halted this update. So even if you're on an Intel system, my understanding is unless you're part of the Windows Insider program and were already able to get patched, they halted this before Patch Tuesday. Yeah, well, uh, for, for me, this just, uh, um, reinforces the need for open source uh, chips and, and more open source operating systems. So <laughs> more eyes on the code, more eyes on the, right. on the specifications. Yeah. But, uh, um, for, well, AMD though, they, they were, they were hit by a uh, specter. They weren't hit by meltdown. Uh, so either yeah. way, it patches need to need to happen for, uh, for AMD uh, processors. Well, but the, so, uh, so, so hold on, I, I need clarification. I'm sorry if I'm getting this wrong. So Meltdown is the is the CPU thing that can be patched. Spectre is the software the this the software exploit. But the the patch for Meltdown that Microsoft released is what was bricking AMD systems. Am I is that not correct? I, I haven't read the mic that uh, that story today. Um, okay. It's, so I can't I can't really yeah, talk, sure. talk with authority on that. Sure. But. Uh, uh, but but AMD AMD is uh, susceptible to the uh, to the Spectre exploit. Meltdown is uh, uh, more uh, that that exploit is more uh, is more so on Intel than on anyone else, uh, from my understanding. Sure. So I, I may I may have that wrong. <laughs> no, no, that, yeah, no, that you're 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 probably on. I I just um you know as, as I'm going through this, it seems like every time we turn around, um. It's it's like there's it's like there's there's some new you know there's some new huge issue, and uh, and so today reading the story about how Microsoft has halted these patches because of what's happening to AMD systems, it's like you know really this is it is an industry issue even if it was Microsoft or even if it was uh, excuse me Intel that started this. So I I, I don't know this is uh, it, it, this is this is going to be kind of cool. So uh, where do we go from here, Brandon? Like wh what are you seeing? Is it is it really just how do we increase the performance? It, it, I was talking to a gentleman uh, earlier today. Let me see if I can find pull this back up. So I was talking to a, a gentleman earlier today. We've had him on the program, Mr. An, uh, Andrew um, 
we'll just call him Andrew. But uh, basically, he was. I was asking him. I said, you know, what are we looking at for the you know for the next iteration of Intel processors? Is this going to is this going to to get fixed? And he says, you know, Intel's three step cycle. It, it means that we have Icy Lake for one more generation, and they're just not going to be able to make a huge change like speculative branching fixings. And so. Um, they're, they're not going to attempt to make the CPU compatible in just one generation. And then he says what's worse is they're already manufacturing them. So they're going to have to fix it via firmware, but that's you know really not going to be any different than what we have now. So hardware changes, like actually fixed processors, processors that no longer contain this fundamental vulnerability that, you know, that where we need to do this separation thing in, at the kernel level, that's not coming for a long, long time. Yeah, where we go... I, I really don't know. I, uh, I think for, for now we're going to have to fix it in software. Um, uh, really, this is, makes me want to go a, invest in Risk Five. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and ARM. Uh, so, you know, more. So, you know, something a little bit more open. Uh, that, that's you know, my personal opinion. And uh, but I, I, I think that that's uh, gonna what we're going to end up having to do is. From an open source as like an open source and free software enthusiast, I, um, I, uh, uh, I I'm gonna I'm gonna want something that that I know it that I can know I can go look at even if I don't understand yeah. it I can say okay this person I trust has said that this is this right. is fine yeah it's, right and uh, so I, yeah I, I really I really don't know in the, in the case of Intel right now I just uh, uh, with Intel chips, uh, with x86 chipsets, um, we'll, we'll just have to fix it in software for the time being. Sure. We got one more call that I want to get in here uh, before I let you go. Uh, James is calling from Idaho. Hey, James, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hello. Hey, James, how can we help? Um, this one is what I'm trying to pick work out in my head. I have an SSD to boot the system. I want to add a spinning disk, but there's technically three types of spinning disks. The SSHD and the True 700, because it's going to be a three-inch drive, and the cheaper, uh, like a Western Digital Blue, which spin at 540. I don't know if there's going to be... Uh, performance hits if I went low a budget or mid, you know, 700 RPM or high budget on performance for opening basic files like photos and documents or doesn't really matter with the three basic uh, spin disk technologies that sure. are out. Sure, sure. That makes sense. Uh, Brandon, what's your thoughts? Is, is it worth it for a, for a spinning disk? Is it worth it for a... Uh is it worth it for a for, for an SSD or you know what do you think of the hybrids those the thing that have the little SSD cache in them? Oh, I I haven't touched the hybrids in years. Um, I I found them to be unreliable. Um, yeah. uh, at least at least I did. Anyway. And not any faster than uh, a spinning disk. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I'm all SSD except in yeah. my home NAS and uh, I uh, from a from spinners I I only use uh, Western Digital reds and blacks. Um, I, I agree. That's all, that's all I use. I agree. Uh, 
I agree. Uh, James, what I would do is I would do a, uh, if you if you need the extra storage space, like you're storing a lot of data, I would do a Western Digital, uh, I would do a Western Digital Red. I'm a big fan of them. Uh, if you are, if you can afford it or you're not looking to do a ton of data, you just need some extra place to, you know, some extra space to put something, put a 512 in there. They're about 200 bucks. You can get them even cheaper if you buy like a SanDisk. It'll be an SSD. It'll be super fast. And the nice thing, remember about SSDs, they only wear down to a read-only state. So you, the, the likelihood is when they fail, they fade in a read-only state so you don't lose data. You just can't write to them anymore. And that is, uh, that's a very beneficial thing, is, at least from the from my point of view. Brandon Johnson from Red Hat uh, will have your uh, contact link in, in the show notes if people want to get a hold of you, follow what you do. And you're going to link us to that blog article that you're writing or have written? Yeah, I'm still writing it. So um, as soon as I get out, I'll be uh, uh, put, putting it on my, on my, on my personal blog. Um, just just going to go over like what I'm seeing in my home lab and, uh, you know, cause I, I have a pretty, you know, a lot of hardware and I just, uh, that, um, uh, I'm just going to, you know, start tweaking and seeing, and seeing what, what will eke out every last, uh, bit of performance. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for being here. We really appreciate having you. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, Noah. Great. Thanks so much, Brandon. Again, Brandon Johnson from Red Hat. Huge thanks to him and uh, and the team of Red Hat for what they're doing to um, to mitigate this. Hey, guys, we did something really fun in the Telegram group. If you're not part of it, you should join telegram.asknoahshow.com. Uh, we, uh, we're joking around about uh, what our group is up to. Let me, let, me, let me pull it back up here. Let's see here. We are at, right now, we are at uh, 409 members. And uh, I didn't notice when we topped over 400. I was like, oh, that's really cool. We should have celebrated 400. And uh, the guys in here are giving me a hard time. They said, they said, I said, we should do a, you know, a celebration. We get to the next hundred or whatever. And they said, next hundred, dude, you got to be a real nerd. Celebrate when we get to 512. So I asked, I said, are you guys nuts? We're not going to pick up, we're not going to pick up 112 users, you know, in any realistic time frame. Uh-uh, I think we can. So, okay. It's a challenge. I don't back down from a challenge. We are doing a, um, we're doing a contest inside of the telegram.asknoahshow.com group. If you join lucky number 512, 512, the 512 person to join wins a $51.20 gift card to amazon.com. Now, after we get to 512 members, we're going to draw out of all 512 members. So if you're there, you're, you're, you're already entered to win, so to speak. Once we get to 512, we're going to draw one number, and that person is going to get a $128 gift card to Amazon.com. So make sure to join the Telegram group, telegram.asknoahshow.com, and also follow us on Twitter, at AskNoahShow. We are revamping the, the Twitter sphere, and we're going to try to provide you with more up-to-date information on a more frequent basis. So we'd appreciate your support in both of those places. Now, we are doing something called the Linux Elimination Challenge. And if you're not familiar what that is, it is a system that the Ask Noah Show community has created that uh, basically what we're doing is we are evaluating different Linux distros. We're pitting them against one another, and we're trying to find which one is the best for a given purpose. So last week, we did a vote between Solus and Manjaro. Now, I w I had my own suspicions of which one was going to win, and I'm not going to tell you if if they if it was right or if it was wrong, but needless to say, uh, I was excited when I saw the results. The the results, the winner between Solus and Manjaro is Manjaro. And it won by a a, a fairly significant margin. It wasn't uh, it wasn't huge or anything. Let me see if I can get this pulled up here. It won by let's see, we had sixty votes for Manjaro and thirty nine votes for Solus. So Manjaro is the winner. Solus is out of the running 
for the Linux Elimination Challenge. Now, this week, I decided I'm really going to pitch you guys against each other. We're really going to, we're really going to, if it was, if it was, uh, if it was heated last week, it's going to be more heated this week because we are pitting Canonical's Ubuntu, the number one desktop operating system, at least touted by many, to be downloaded. Uh, Ubuntu is an open source software operating system that, ah, you guys know what Ubuntu is. I don't have to read that. Come on. Uh, it runs everything from the cloud to your desktop, to your server, to your internet of things. Ubuntu. That's, is, that, is Ubuntu the best op desktop operating system? I don't know. And we're pitting it against, drum roll please, Fedora. Yes, that's right. Red Hat's Fedora. My chosen operating system for many, many years, running it since version one. Fedora, choose freedom. Choose Fedora. Less setup, more innovation. Choose a flavor of Fedora Streamline for your needs to get work done right away. You can do Fedora Server, Fedora Workstation. Of course, we're talking about the best distro for the desktop, so I, I'm, I'm thinking Fedora Workstation. So make, make sure when this episode is published, to head over to asknoahshow.com slash elimination, asknoahshow.com slash elimination, and let us know what you think. Which is your vote? Should you, you Would you use Fedora or Ubuntu? And a reminder, you don't have to have the exact, it doesn't have to be the operating system that you personally would use. It's just if you were going to choose one of those things, if you were on a Linux island and your choice was between Fedora and Ubuntu, which one of those two would you choose? Asknoahshow.com slash elimination. I try for the most part to keep the radio station, the radio station and the podcast network, the podcast network. But, and, and you know, they're, they're, the, the exception to that is this show. Because other than this show, the two don't really overlap. And so viewers and the, the, the viewers of JB don't really care what KEQQ and Grand Forks is doing. And the listeners of KEQQ don't really care what's going on at JB. So it, I try to keep both of them separate, except for the legal idea at the top of the hour, which I have to do. Uh, but tonight might be the exception, because I think what's, what's coming up next might be interesting to, to everyone, to both audiences. KEQQ's harm reduction host, Will, who, by the way, follows the show now that our showtime has moved to Tuesdays. Uh, since we moved to Tuesdays, we are we are now his lead in and uh, he's doing an on location broadcast tonight at 7 p.m. So that's just in four minutes here right after this show. And Will is downtown at the Empire Arts Theater where the students for the sensible drug policy are holding a panel tonight. And on that panel is, I, I believe, people from the city as well as um, people from the the the. Um, Students for Sensible Drug Policy, and they are going to be having a discussion about the issues raised in a film called The o Opioid Epidemic, Seeking Solutions in North Dakota. Now, The Opioid Epidemic was produced by Prairie Public uh, with support from BCBS-ND, The Caring Foundation, uh, North Dakota Medical Foundation, and Bell Bank. Um, the, the Grand Forks Community Call to Action uh, on Addiction and Substance Abuse and there will be a co-host that is going to be mediating the event and stuff like that. And Will's going to be representing KEQQ Radio there. And um, so if you're passionate about sensible drug policy or care about that or want to hear uh, Will's take, um, Will does a show every, uh, uh, well, I guess Tuesday at 7 p.m. <laughs> uh, called Harm Reduction Report. It follows this show. And if that's interesting, you, you can hear that program coming right up on 88.3 FM here in Grand Forks or stream live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 at KEQQ Radio. Dot com. So if that's interesting to you, check that out. Uh, a huge thanks to uh, everyone that made it, uh, you know, uh, people that call into the show and a huge thanks to Brandon Johnson from Red Hat. Again, we're going to continue to provide you updated information about what is going on here. And you can follow us on Twitter. That's the best place to, to get updates. Now, the great thing about Twitter is because I, I put a lot of thought into this. There's a lot of people don't like having to sign up for an account for something. And I, I'm one of those people. I don't really want to have to sign up for an account. Um, but the thing with Twitter and why I'm willing to make an exception here is 
is the you don't actually have to have an account to follow to 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 look at the updates on Twitter. You can go to twitter.com/asnoahshow and see what we're posting on Twitter. In fact, we're t- looking at ways that we can actually integrate that into the Asnoah dashboard asnoahshow.com. And uh, if we can do that, then that's a really great way for us to put in one place without having to host a bunch of backend infrastructure one place updates about the shows and stuff like that. And we're also going to try to get news articles and stuff like that tweeted out, things that we talk about during the show notes. By the way, if you don't usually look at the show notes, look at the show notes this week, because it's not always I put this much work into them, but there is a plethora of links in the show notes. So if you really want to understand this thing, uh, check that out. Also, go back and check out episode 43. The Ask Noah Show... Er, oh, yeah, there we go. Okay, The Ask Noah Show continues next week at... 6 p.m. Central on Tuesdays. It's going to take me a while to get used to. Huge thanks to Vox Delsis for providing our phone system. Ben, our producer, Sarah, I'll Carl Screener. We'll hand you off to Harm Reduction coming up next on KEQQ 88.3.